This is it. No Laugh Track Podcast. This is it. Here we are. Episode 133. Thank you, Circle of Heat, for letting us, as always, play your music there at the beginning. If you haven't yet, uh, go to iTunes and leave a review, uh, you know, five-star or else... uh, you uh, get a disease when you hit enter. So uh, only five star only. Leave a comment, of course, too. That'd be really, really awesome. It's just a computer virus, though. Don't it's worry. a computer virus, yes. <laughs> Support what you like, please. That voice right there was one of the two guests I have this week. Chris Bliss, who just spoke, and Ben Sandell. Fellas, thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. I have to ask, was that computer virus crack? Was that the first time a comedian has made that one after... Your comment? I, I well, I, that's was that some, the first time you made that comment? That came off the top of my head. So, oh, yeah. So I was yeah. gonna say, so, like, yes. if you did that every time, no, that was, I went there too. I was like, yeah. oh, computer. But virus. you thought everybody done it, and so therefore <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't good enough for you. Wow. Yeah. So computer virus versus the kind of virus I'm going to get from this microphone, which is a, a human. A, a we send the micro send the carpet on any stage of any comedy club to the CDC, and they will discover things growing there that they didn't know exist. We uh, yeah we uh, we learned right before we started recording that your microphone smells like a uh, old, old saliva, old saliva. Yeah, not surprisingly, <laughs> considering that it's a stand-up comedy microphone. And then we established that if you if you ever in marching band, you know what old saliva smells like because it was it smelled like your mouthpiece or the this you know the spit valve, or the trombone, yeah, the trombone. Yeah. And that's spit what a, that's what a comedy club microphone smells like. I found out today just now. I've never sniffed one before. Ahead, give now, the Chris, sound effect. Chris is like, here, smell effect. this. Smell this. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that takes me back All to marching right. band. Yeah. That was with, And that reminded me of when I did uh, one of the, uh, I mean, y'all have, there's strange gigs. I did the Louisiana World Expo in 1984 as a juggling act, the same year that I was on tour with Michael Jackson. Yeah. I would fly down and work outside at the Louisiana World Expo doing like six shows a night. And then on the weekends, I'd go off and I'd do... Uh, Michael's tour and I met some I mean they're just crazy people in Louisiana and one of the guys that I met because of the lighting guy I was working with was some thoroughly Cajun good looking young kid who made uh, ooh spicy made mm-hmm. neon things and one of the things he made was a neon pole for a strip club right some guy Those said I needed. want you to make me neon poles and he told the guy in his best Cajun draw which I, I can't do mm-hmm. which is just like well I'll put it in, but I ain't cleaning it. <laughs> so, there. You so we're sharing images. You didn't, you. It's radio. It's the, it's the theater of the Wait, mind. You didn't take that as a job opportunity? <laughs> no, I didn't. You could be an entrepreneur. Right I, took it as a, I took it as a, as a view into the world of Cajun culture. <laughs> Cajun neon culture. Fair enough. I, I have to ask, you were touring with Michael Jackson. Yeah, I did. How did you get... How did, you, how did he find out about you? Uh, that was that victory tour, which was right when he was like really probably at his zenith. It was a stadium tour when, and he brought his brothers back. Out. It was to get his brothers back on, yeah, the, so uh, that they to get him off his back. So it was like, mm-hmm. okay, here's one last paycheck. Now I'm done with you at the end of this tour. And he uh, uh, wanted to put apparently a jazz band that he liked in front of him, and his entourage told him, his management said, "You won't be doing them any favor, Michael." You know putting jazz band in front of a stadium full of Michael Jackson fans. So they had no opening act. And I and his uh, one of the managers was a guy named Larry Larson, who to, who was uh, Kenny Loggins' manager. And I'd opened for Kenny a couple times, and they just said, well, we got nobody. Uh, I know this guy. He'll be okay. We'll just put him on the first show, and then we'll figure it out. And that was Kansas City, the first shows. 
And how many they, people were at that first one? Well, there. I mean, it was Arrowhead Stadium. They're all stadium shows. They're yeah. all between you know fifty and sixty-five thousand people with night every after ticket night. sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then the second weekend, it was like, well, we still don't have anybody. And by the third weekend, it was like, yeah, this is working. Let's just keep doing it. No, you know, a good juggling act, a little bit of lighting, nothing else. But I learned a term from Larry Larson that I'd never heard before uh, about what kind of about what my function on the tour was. Uh, a support act we've all heard of. A support act usually has the same management as the headline act, or if they don't have the same management, they're going to sell 15 to 20% of the seats are going to be there to watch the support act. you got the main act, but they can't quite find the support act. An opening act is almost always the same management and label as the headline act, and they're there to boost their career to get exposed to the audience. They think it's a good match. I'd never heard this. I thought it was the opening act. No. I was told that I was... The merchandising act. I was on the show so they could extend the period of time during which they could sell Michael Jackson merchandise by an hour. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'd never heard that term before. It's a term of art. It's kind of like anchor babies. You know, it's one of those things that you go, that sounds insulting, and it is. It's (laughs) meant to be insulting. Well, you know about anchor babies, right? Well, those people are coming across the border, and then they drop their anchor babies here. You know, uh, I don't have kids, but everybody I know who has a small child, all babies are anchors. Let's just say it. <laughs> did, did you have any custom, like, Michael Jackson balls that you used that you could sell? No. No, I had nothing to sell. Uh, the one time I had merchandise, uh, this back of my rock and roll, my brief rock and roll days, I toured with Asia, the Super Grupo Asia. I when, never meant to be so bad to Yeah, when you. their album went uh, to number one, they were... That's exactly what it sounds yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, outside. That's what the bare track sounds like before they fix it all up. <laughs> yes. Actually, Wetton's a good singer. But uh, but I toured with them and when their album went to number one, and they let me sell some merchandise, and they had some goofy goofy juggler T-shirts made up. And I think uh, I think I sold maybe 40 of them in, in, uh, in the entire tour. And we're playing, you know, 12,000, 18,000 <laughs> oh. seat arenas. I've, I'm I've sold merchandise like at four shirts. I've sold merchandise at uh, you know these big concerts at some of the stadiums in town here, so I know all about that. You know, you want that uh, intermission or whatever it is. Oh yeah, because once the show starts, you're yeah. not you don't make anything. You no. might as well leave. You could almost leave the stand alone because some you know. If it's and for people show. to wonder why it's so damn expensive, the venue takes thirty percent. Yeah. So. so I mean, and and also, uh, quite frankly, you deserve it if you're that much of a fanboy. <laughs> you deserve to be ripped off for your false idols. <laughs> You know, <laughs> buy my T-shirt. <laughs> when you were uh, opening for Michael Jackson, were you, were you doing the uh, that Beatles? Yeah, I did four juggling songs, and that was it. And uh, probably not Abbey Road. I think I did Sergeant Pepper's at that one because I had some lights, and they do flash pots at the end. I had all the rock and roll stuff. You know, I had strobe lights and black lights and white gloves and mirror balls and and these fluorescent scarves that I worked with. It was, uh, you know, and, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, it was great for the kids. It was great for the stoners. I bet. And, yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and great for, the, uh, for whatever the band was, because no sound check, very little gear to remove from the stage. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, but really, I mean, totally by accident, it was a great act for opening rock concerts. And... Uh, and, and I actually had a one super cool uh, rock and roll experience on tour with Asia. Uh, we're playing the first big, you know, they started off at 2,000 seaters. Their album went to number one. Then they said, Chris, do you think you can play 18,000 seats? And I didn't. But, of course, you're not going to say, no, get somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so 
We're playing the Spectrum in Philadelphia. I don't think it's there anymore. This is like 82. I think I've actually watched the video of it being imploded. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's it's 18,000 seater. It's a big rock concert. And I'm on my third song, which at that point was like Quadrophenia. You know, I do so. I wasn't doing stand-up. I couldn't talk to those people. I uh, didn't have that act anyway. And I'm on my third song, which is Quadrophenia by The Who. And the fourth song was the Beatles song, right? And... The sound man, who's uh, we used to call him Crazy Dave, Dave Natal, he went on, he did the Stones and everybody. He's a famous rock and roll sound guy in, in that world. People know who Dave Natal is. He was mixing the live sound. And uh, as Quadrophenia came up, which is a little fade, you know, right? When it got to the burn thing, he just, he pegged the board louder than I've ever, than I'd ever heard it before. And when, and it gave me the experience that those guys on stage got, because he put it at the level the band was going to be at. (laughs) And it literally, sound is a wave. When sound is loud enough, it's a wind. Yeah. You know, it knocked people, I could feel, it knocked people back in their seats. The stage starts to vibrate, and the vibration comes up your legs, and it settles in your crotch. (laughs) In a, right. in a good way? <laughs> oh, yeah. In a, are you kidding me? In a good way? My crotch is throwing 18,000 people back. I know where cock rock cuts. Right? It's exactly, I mean, it was so cool. Oh, all your balls are juggling there. Absolutely. It was, and, and at the end of that song, they leapt to their seats. Uh, from their seats, they leapt up. And, two, and at the end of the Beatles song, they jumped up again. Two standing ovations in 25 minutes. He'd never done it before. He didn't do it afterwards. Oh. I'm looking for him afterwards. You know, we're backstage in the hospitality thing and everything, and I see Crazy Dave across the room, and I go, hey, hey, Dave. And he looks, he just looks at me from across the room, and he goes, did you feel it? <laughs> and I thought, what a, nice, what a nice gift, you know, to give me, to let me know for like 10 minutes what it feels yeah, like to be an honest-to-God like. rock star, yeah. just volume-controlling the you crowd. jumped off stage at the end. Yeah. Had everybody catch you. Now, we can use I language. Absolutely. No, you didn't. I stage dived when I was, uh, I must have been eight. It, my brother, my older <laughs> well, brother. Well, that <laughs> Well, it, it's still, I mean, my older brother. You weighed 46 10 years older pounds. He was in a band called Dog, Delusions of Grandeur, and uh, he in a high school band. I like that. Ooh. And, uh, and he brought me up on stage in an earlier concert. And I just stood there and looked at the crowd, and he, and he said, dance around. I couldn't hear him. And then he said, okay, get off stage. And so I got, and then I felt bad about that. So then the next time he brought me on stage, I I I, mo- I did like the mosh dance on stage, and I I was eight, and then I just had this moment. It was like this kind of packed little concert place. I just stood there and I just jumped onto the crowd, and they caught me and they carried me away. And it's on video. Somewhere. I was going to say, is there video? That's cool. Wow, well, I've never, I've never, I haven't seen the video since like. Are you going to try that this week at Acme? Yeah, you know what? It seems like the Acme crowds are—they're into the catching people jumping yeah. off stage and yeah. yeah. Don't don't warn them. Have them just leave the gl- the drinks there on the table. I would suggest crafts. second show Saturday in case it doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it was. Uh, it, it didn't. It wasn't scary. It was it, the owner of the place got upset that it happened, but uh, other than that, uh, sh- get- did, was that the end of Dog's uh, show that night? It might have been. It might have been like one of their last concerts. So, yeah. <laughs> well, but such a but delusions. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, now, can we use language on yeah, here? Yeah, sure. Okay, good. Whatever you'd like. Uh, I was playing uh, a club uh, in uh, Kansas City, Sanford and Sons. I don't know if they're still there, but it was in uh, in Westport area, full of clubs in Kansas City, and it was right next to a rock club. And on Friday night, I went over to the rock club afterwards. And there was a like a glam band on stage, uh, and I mean it's Friday night. You should you should have a crowd. 
It's mm-hmm. either Friday or Saturday night. And there and basically there are their uh, girlfriends and tech guys and their girlfriends and maybe twenty people. Yeah. Okay. And the band is up there in their, you know, the tight pants and the you know, and, and at one point at the end of their at their final show while they're doing all the windmill stuff and everything, and they're all and they've all got hair way down to the middle of their backs and they're all doing the windmill with their hair in unison with one another. It's the hair nice. It's the hair it's not a solo, it's a chorus. It's mm-hmm. a hair chorus that they're doing and everything. It's their big finale it's kind of like a metal band with no fans, a final chorus. And then the the delusions of grandeur lead man. <laughs> comes up to the microphone and shouts out at the non-existent audience, get up on the tables, you motherfuckers. And it was like, to me, one of the funniest delusions I'd ever seen. Because there were no motherfuckers. Yeah, like, huh? There were way more tables than motherfuckers. You know? So a few, and a few weeks later... Did, um, anybody, a, did anybody get up on a no. table? No. No. Just I mean, one guy started totally scratching his head. totally off in his world. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, maybe one of the tech guys to take down the lights. I don't know. It was the end of the show. <laughs> So a few weeks later, I'm at a, a club in Houston that I always did well at uh, called Spellbinders at the time. Probably none of these places are there anymore. Everybody I know is dead. <laughs> um, and I'm having a blistering hot set on a Saturday night, and uh, which wasn't hard, never is. Uh, it can be, but it shouldn't be. Uh, and, uh, and at the end of it, I do the juggling thing, right? And the audience is just, I mean, they were amazing all the way through. And then the juggling comes and they're just cheering and everything. And they just thought, well, get up on the tables, motherfuckers. <laughs> and the audience jumped to their feet. And I thought, <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, it's so weird. I mean, it makes you realize sort of in its own way what Hitler was able to tap into. It's <laughs> like, wow, this shit works if it's the right time and place. <laughs> you got a good vibe. Yeah. Just- but but and I saved that tape. I still got that on VHS somewhere, and it's called Spellbinders MF Set. Because <laughs> to me, that stuff is hysterical. Yeah. That, it, that it works at all, and that you're doing it as a joke, and then you see it actually impacts people. You know, for those of you who think you're just an individual, we are all connected, <laughs> motherfuckers. So whenever you're having a really good set, and you you, you can think to yourself like, oh, I'm, I'm getting that Hitler vibe again. I can I can tell them to Absolutely. do whatever I want. I, let's yeah. Well, murder no. that guy. I can probably tell them to get up on the. I, that's as far as I. <laughs> oh, that's as far as you yeah. Could, like you I, my power is nation yeah. Like we're all connected, but my power ends at get up on the tables, motherfuckers. That's as far as it extends. <laughs> he tapped into the same stream, but in his case, obviously a river. Just a little more a long stream. Yeah. Well, he had he had an object of hatred to aim people at. That helps too. <laughs> that does you know. help. You guys did a show last night. None of this happened here last night. Can you no. confirm or deny? It's a good crowd. A really I don't know nice if they crowd. Me if I jumped off though. Hmm. No, the, the lady down front, the nurse. Yeah, she would have treated you after you jumped off. Yeah, but I don't think oh. she would have caught you. Uh, not we, the kind of nurse you're. Th- look at him; he's hallucinating. No, the the seventy year old nurse. Yes, that's what we're talking about. Well, she wasn't seventy; she was probably fifty nine, sixty. But you you say nurse to a guy, and yeah, he's, and he's immediately in the little in the fantasy. It's terrible. It is terrible. You're immediately you're you're having a sponge bath, aren't you, in your mind right now? <laughs> yep. The yeah. Very very small sponge. Yeah, very small sponge. Very small. Sponge. How do you? Uh, nurse. When did you two meet? Last night? Have I you worked together before? before? Here? We've, we've met, met I mean, before. I I've, I've seen here. you uh, perform here before. Probably with Josh, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we haven't worked together before. No. The first time working yeah. together. Because the whole reason Josh and I designed that show was so that we wouldn't have to work with people like Ben. Oh, yeah. right, right. I mean, right, yeah. Right, yeah. In right, fact, they right. saw me specifically on stage, like, you know, we got to do something yeah. about yeah. this. They said, "Well, let's just do a show where we don't have any feature open, anything." 
Yeah. Jo- now, of course, Josh was here in what was it November doing his week headlining, and I got how his, was it? Did I got see? his point of view. Great, really good. He he said, uh, well, I won't say what he said, but what happened? What happened between you two? Why why you working alone? Did now? he was he spreading the Martin and Lewis story because it wasn't at all like that. <laughs> it. Uh, uh, it was much more like Nixon and Checkers, I believe, <laughs> as far as there's a reference that none. Jesus, I, 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 it's so I, I, sad when you're ref- <laughs> You know, it's so sad when you're. Uh, uh, I, I was checking in at the airport the other day, and uh, the, the uh, woman behind the counter referred to me as a silver fox. I mean, the phrase itself is 80 years old. You know, it's like, oh, that's that's. Ugh. And I was thinking about this. I was so glad that this is just a podcast because um, I've had a long few, few weeks actually because of a project I'm involved with, and, uh, and then the tra- I don't travels. And it was you look in the mirror and you go, you know, it used to be not that long ago. After a hard night out, don't shave, show up rugged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked rugged. Now it's just haggard. Haggard. Now I've got you go from, and it's like an overnight thing that happens. You go from I can be rugged. I don't need to shave. I look rugged. To mm, no, you look homeless. So <laughs> Those words are close to each other too. Rugged, rugged haggard. haggard. You go the transition from rugged to haggard. It's not very good. <laughs> not so as bad as quick. It sounds like it's quick and uh, well. It, I mean, it feels like it's just all of a sudden you notice it and you go, "Ooh, that's not a good look." <laughs> yeah, because women like uh, rugged, but nobody likes haggard. No. Social workers, they like Haggard. It makes them feel there's meaning in their lives. That's a paycheck. That's steady work. That's what that is. <laughs> right? What's your job? I make money off the Haggard. So, well, But my story the, about what, that is that just Josh wanted to uh, do... do uh, it'd been a while since he'd done yeah. headline sets. He said the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I worked with him that week, and he, I, that's not what I heard. But, oh, uh, we're not going to... Chris doesn't know the I'll reason. call him. I'll call him right now. We'll put him on the spot. He's like, you know what? I'm done carrying Chris this far. He can, you know, he can go on his own now for a while. Yeah, let him, let him, let him, re- let him rest his laurels on those tennis balls like he's been <laughs> doing his whole freaking life. You know, oh, okay, Mister Video Mocker, you go ahead, write your America's funniest home videos. I'm sure you're proud to have AFV on your resume. <laughs> Uh, anyway. No, this is good. Now we're we're making fun of uh, Josh for something that he didn't even say. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're having the imaginary spat between two friends that really. Uh, you is know. this called trolling? Are we trolling? Is that what this is? Uh, we're faux trolling. Faux trolling. Yeah, yeah. There we this go. is just faux trolling. faux trolling. There we go. Which brings me something. Uh, I saw you, uh, Chris Bliss, right on social media, and I want to know what's behind this. Oh. I never craved immortality until I imagined the afterlife as being like Facebook. <laughs> Well, I was on – because of this project I'm doing, I was looking through all my Facebook you know, friends with the uh, air quotes, and uh, at least four of them that I know of, and I don't know some – probably two-thirds of those people I don't really know, had never met, never had a conversation with. Uh, but I saw at least four of my friends that were dead. Uh, and I don't – I mean, it's hard to – you know, if you if you don't have the admin privileges, it's kind of hard to take down the Facebook page. So people yeah. live on forever on Facebook. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, imagine if you die and heaven is like Facebook. It's all it's it's you're connected to a. I mean, you're in this place where you have this weird, you know, superficial connection to all these people you don't really know, and everybody's just sort of chattering about the noise of their afterlife existence. And I thought. 
It's the only time I ever want to do. I, if that's the afterlife, I want to live forever. That sounds like the premise of like a Black Mirror episode. You ever watch Black Mirror? No, I haven't. It's uh, it's like a Twilight Zoney type show about technology. So yeah, it's uh, it's a British show, and they one of the episodes is like basically like people living inside a cell phone, and it's terrifying. And that reminds me of that living inside Facebook would just be a nightmare. Oh, yeah. I mean, in in every possible way, you know. So uh, and with. And what do they do about dead people on Facebook? I guess a certain amount of no posting. Do they? I'm sure they've got to have. But I'm talking about people that died. Well, I mean, you know, not to, not to bring it up. Although he, should you? I mean, it's terrible. This is a friend of mine, but Bill Bauer is who I was thinking okay, of. Okay, yeah. And I saw you know Billy Pat Bauer on there. Yeah, you know, right. And uh, and uh, as long as I'm saying bad things, about, well, now now Josh and I love. I mean, I love Bill. Chris, the problem with having sex with animals is you run into them a year later, they act like they don't even know you. <laughs> That's you know. pretty good. Oh, yeah. Big, Bill Bauer is one of the only comic voices I've ever found coming out of my mouth during a show at some point. Where you just had to do it. Go to Bill. That's uh, pretty good. But uh, when Bill died, we were all kind of shocked because uh, I don't think he was even – he might have been 60, probably not. And when you're my age, you know, you start – that's the thing where you start seeing the people younger than you dying or two years older than you dying in the, and you start going, well, okay, that's great. Uh, and, I said, and I said to Josh, I said, man, Bill Bauer. And he goes, well, yes, Chris, but honestly, if you could take a visual, if you had anybody's picture to put the word stroke next to it <laughs> – that would just be the representation of what a stroke looks like. That and is such an odd thing about when comedians die is that yeah. is, is the pe- way people talk about it is so different because it's, it's, all their friends are comedians and they're gonna they're gonna yeah. just tell jokes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I did a, through uh, tears. I talked. Uh, I mean, uh, Ron Shock, who I don't think ever worked here, but Ron was uh, one of the Texas Outlaw comics, and uh, yeah. he, he died a couple years ago. And then uh, his wife waited until a, a Monday when people could come in Las Vegas and to get everybody together, right? And the memorial service or whatever it is is called was at a comedy club in, in Vegas. Fine enough, and except nobody stayed to their time. Shock. <laughs> You know, and then uh, and uh, <laughs> and a couple people said some stuff that was like uh, that I had that I you know this is right after the RNC thing with Clint Eastwood, so I actually did an empty chair thing about a, about Ron being there, talking about a couple of the other people on stage going you know uh, slamming a couple of Ron- I slammed a couple of Ron's friends in his absence because uh-huh. it was like how dare you say that it's totally counter to what Ron believed in your at his memorial service. So I finished up and people came up to me and they said nice set. <laughs> and it's like, uh, but the, uh, that whole mentality. Yeah. At some point, you just, uh-huh. you know, I really that. I mean, I personally, you know, do, I, have you give you, you're so much younger. I, but most comics think about death from an early age be, well, because Chris, we experience. Let me it catch frequently. you up here. I don't know if you know, but the Twin Cities scene has lost two relatively young comics in the last. What yeah, you say? Lynch, two months think was. For, like 40? 40 something, yeah. And Bill Young, who I believe was uh, maybe a year younger than me. Accident, disease, or suicide? A- accident. Uh, accident. I mean. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was a rough, that was a rough uh, December. And because it was within like two weeks of each other. Mm hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I saw, you know, I went to two memorials where it was. 
ton, lots of crying, lots of tears, and but the constant jokes on stage that were like really funny. You, you know, it was just it's it was almost like a was with a friend at, at Bill Young's memorial, and it was almost more intense than it, it just a, a memorial for somebody who's not a comedian because that the the highs and lows of that it would you there would be a joke and everybody would laugh and then there'd be this quick turn about you know where somebody's just crying and deeply and he would just go oh and then it would be a laugh again and you just felt emotionally wrung out when you walked out of that and it was just but yeah i hadn't been well in 40 a a more emotional memorial in my life than uh bill young's i mean it was a great memorial but it we just had me and my friend just had to go and get some beers afterwards (laughs) just kind of like unwind and i bet yeah and that's super shocking you know, I mean, Ron was 70, and, and Bill, you know, was never a portrait of health. <laughs> right. You know, when Michael Jackson died, I had a couple of media people, you know, obviously who couldn't get anybody who really knew him <laughs> on the phone. You know, well, talk, it like a, talk the, about uh, your trolling. And I, it wanted to interview me. And, you know, what, what was Michael really? You had your, you know, and I, I didn't do the interviews. But I did have two lines prepared to end the interviews. Yeah. Uh, one was... Uh, I'm shocked that he died. He's looked so healthy for so long. <laughs> I thought that would be good. good. And the other one was, uh, I think the guy got a bad rap because, from what I remember, his genitals were totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> I spent less – in six months, I spent less than 60 seconds. Uh, I mean, I, I met him twice. Once he wandered into my dressing room by accident. I was sitting with the band leader. Uh, Pat Leonard, who went on to great uh, uh, fame writing half of Madonna's songs, and, and now he's producing Leonard Cohen's records. So, I mean, Pat's just a brilliant guy, uh, and quite an arc from Michael Jackson to Madonna to Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Talk about going Everybody from, the, from the dark to the slight. Yeah, from the dark to the light. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I wish I could have his voice, but uh, I'd have to drink way more whiskey and smoke a lot more cigars. Yeah. Although he's Give basically a, a Buddhist. Well, I mean, now, nowadays, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and, uh, I've heard he, stories he wanted to bring his wine to the, the monastery and, and he had to find one that would actually allow funny. him to have alcohol. That's funny. <laughs> well, he should have called up, uh, Van Morrison. I'm sure Van knows huh. if there's a wine that takes monastery, call an Irishman. They'll know which one. It, I mean, a monastery <laughs> that takes wine, call an Irishman. <laughs> yeah. That's in Proverbs, by the way. It's th- the correct Aramaic. I can't quote the exact verse, but it's in Proverbs somewhere. Take your word for it. Yeah, take my word. I never read the Bible. I got through the book of Job, and I went, I don't want to deal with this guy. He's vindictive. <laughs> I got to. I got through the, um, what's that one that has all the, like, stoning people all over that book in the Bible? That's the Old Testament. Yeah, which That's one? the whole thing. Which, yeah, but, the, <laughs> but there's one specific book. It's the second one, I, or third, I think. It's the third book of the Old Testament that has all that, all those weird rules about Genesis, not, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus. It's Leviticus, yeah. That I got through Leviticus, and then I was like, you know, I'm done probably with this because it was it was that weird, the weird like extra. In addition to the Ten Commandments, we're gonna have these other amendments, uh, and it's gonna be this like it's, the people always talk about the gay, you know, if you're gay, you'll get stoned to death, and uh, and uh, but nobody ever talks about like the if a woman has uh, uh, her period, she has to sacrifice a dove. Um, yeah, why aren't steps we doing of the church, and if you're yeah, so that was always I used to tell jokes about like that. We're like, why aren't we, why aren't we sacrificing doves? So where did that go? 
You know, there still should be some Doug sacrifice. Well, we Doug did sacrifice. we did uh, make the carrier pigeon extinct. I think that probably gets oh, generations of women period free. You know, <laughs> for that one. And people don't are, pigeons are to blame. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the punishment for breaking eight of the Ten Commandments is is, uh, is death, and various kinds of death. I mean, there are different kinds in there, but people don't realize that it's 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 pretty much straight ahead a death penalty document. So there's Eek, there's you know. lesser punishments. There's the if uh, any time a man ejaculates, this is in Leviticus. Any time a man ejaculates, he has to bathe, which I would joke that that gave rise to masturbating in the shower. You get that. <laughs> I did I, absolutely, yeah. It's a two for one. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, that's crazy. Boy, that was obviously written by a man. It's like, I'm already jacking off in the shower. I'm absolved. <laughs> the rinsing. Yeah, that, yeah, that is. It's sort of like this. That's an easy thing for men to deal with. And then for women, it's like, if you have your period and a guy touches you at that point, you will be, you'll be stoned to death. Like, what really men, all men have to do is bathe, and women, you know, that was, that's Leviticus. That's one. That's one, well. You know, we have to keep women in their place. I mean, honestly, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're here to talk about. Really. Yeah, three guys talking about keeping women in their place. I mean, that's what the world is, uh, you know, all about. What I wanted to talk to, uh, and but it's already too late. I wanted to spend an hour uh, just making fun of the Packers choking over the weekend, but. You wanted to really spend an hour doing that? Yes. Well, you, we already used up half hour. I know that's what I'm saying. It's too late now. So, oh, yeah. and well, it didn't and it didn't take him an hour to choke. So why <laughs> should we? <laughs> let's let, let's just spend four minutes and thirty five seconds on that. I yeah, think that would be more go. appropriate with occasional timeouts. And there you go. Now we can move on. I'll remind me of that, but it, just, it really did remind me of that because I felt I felt bad for people in Wisconsin because that uh, that painful Vikings loss. And what was it? Ninety eight, ninety nine. Well, well, we, had, was we, we had Moss and we had that was ninety eight. Uh, yes, the Carter field, field goal in the NFC Championship game was ninety eight. Yeah, Anderson missed the first field goal of the season. Yes, and it, had he gotten it, we would have won. Uh, we had the best team. We had hands down the best team. Yeah. Oh yeah. And breaking, then that record happened. Breaking offense that year. I mean, at least the Packers have been to the Super Bowl fairly recently. Vikings mm-hmm. didn't. So yeah, that I mean that still hurts. You, yeah. do, you bring that up in Minnesota and people are still like. <laughs> Oh, for sure. And that, that's what, what the uh, Packers oh, for just sure. went through. Oh, for sure. for sure. I don't feel... You betcha. The person you betcha I feel bad for is our pal Tim Harmston, because he's such uh-huh. a big Packers fan. I, uh-huh. I, he's the one I feel bad uh, for. He was just probably just dying when he was watching that. Mm-hmm. I did hear uh, on the way over here, I heard a story that uh, you guys know that name, Jim Harbaugh. He was the sure. coach of the 49ers. Yeah. Now he's ditched them to go coach Michigan. Any case, apparently his son did an interview recently saying that when he was a kid... His dad, Jim, once ran out of milk for cereal, so instead he put Gatorade on it. Well, yeah, can, can like think any of true any football player would. <laughs> can you think of anything more disgusting than putting Gatorade on your cereal? Well, if it's Fruit Loops, are you really going to notice the difference? Oh, Fruit Loops. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. But or Gatorade on the, yeah, you know, I mean, ugh. I can't. In fact, actually, putting the thought about putting mixing milk with... Like Fruit Loops, like this milky thing with this fruity. Sh- that's odd. That's just as odd. When I was I don't a hippie, Fruit Loops anymore. So when I was no. a hippie, we put uh, apple juice on our uh, on our mucilix. Yeah, there we are, masturbating in the shower all over again. That <laughs> 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 was a big thing, you know. When my ex-wife was pregnant with one of our kids, she would eat uh, Crispix, that cereal with orange juice. Yeah, but she it. had the pregnancy exemption. 
I'm yeah, I've been trying to qualify with that, but still, the thought of that makes me nauseated. I used to, uh, I used to have at least the thought of your ex-wife doesn't make you nauseous. (laughs) Talk to me, heyo. Talk to me after we're done recording. (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. I used to have a joke that was uh, that where I said, uh, "Do you think milk would taste as good if it were called utter snot?" (laughs) And uh, and I think about it, and that's what milk is really. It's just this runny stuff that comes out of an udder. And uh, how how are we not constantly grossed out about that on uh, for anything? For just drinking it plain is by itself terrible, but putting this utter snot on <laughs> on mucilex. That's such an American point of view. We are so divorced from nature and reality. I mean, reality is kind of a gross, kind of a slimy kind of a thing. Well, I mean, it's true, but how This is idea that... that it can be in any way sanitized is... <laughs> well, but, I, but I'm serious about that. My wife grew up on a ranch in, in Brazil, and one of her favorite memories is the ranch guys knock on the door at like 5 o'clock in the morning and give her straight from the outer warm milk, and then she'd drink and go back to sleep for a couple hours. I mean, you know, these things are totally natural and uh, pleasurable but uh, do you think that we did like do you think humans did that before farming like that like there would be you were raised on you were raised on mama cows. snot <laughs> <laughs> i mean because because it's mostly meant for baby cows and so what i just wonder when was the first point that a human went and was like hey check this out and it started do you think it was straight mouth to teat that first time or squeezed into something and then drank? I want well, to depend on whatever nation it was. <laughs> yes. Because you we, go back to ancient Greece, you've got your man on sheep activity. Very well known. That's where syphilis came from, I believe. Yeah. I believe it's native to goats and came to the human race that way. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's what Google's for right now <laughs> is to find out whether that's true or not. But I believe, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know whether people were actually fucking the monkeys, but HIV came out. Sure, of, that's the, know, that was the uh, monkey yeah. populations. That's what Andrew Dice Clay told us, or yeah. was it Sam Kinison? It was anybody who was thinking about it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, all those people that know it came out of a South African chem- biological weapons lab. Well, yeah, no, probably not. Did you guys keep track of You heard about that open micer in Seattle? They got beat up a couple weeks ago right? oh I, I i forgot about that yeah i did hear about it i don't know the details he was uh it was a guy who ran an open mic the real quick version is some creep had been showing up for several weeks with this weird act that involved as we this is a nice tie-in the bible as well as a dildo and uh he basically wasn't a comedy act it was some you know weird some guy with probably some mental problems well he came back the one uh like a month ago with a baseball bat and uh because he didn't get let on stage, knocked this guy over the head and cracked his head open and sent him to the hospital. This is an update. The guy is back performing. The guy The guy who, who got knocked in the head is back performing. His name, I want to I want to I want to because because I did I talked about this like a month ago. The guy's name, the comic's name is Dylan Avila and he is uh, back working again. The uh, do you guys know who Craig Gass is? Comic Craig Gass. He's, uh, we've had him in our uh, morning show over at KQRS. He does a bunch of, he's an impressionist, basically. Anyway, okay. this this comic opened for him. He said that rather dismissively. Over the uh, weekend. <laughs> impressionist. impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a thing with a sock puppet. <laughs> what next? Are you going to start juggling? Well, l- let's be honest. I know, hypnotist I, know, mime clown. I know that you two professional comics look down on an imp- impressionist, so th- I'm just I, sucking I, up I just, to you. I just I do that because I wish I could do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of course, you did the awesome Bill Bauer like 10 minutes ago. That was nice. Yes. <laughs> Chris, do you think they have souls? 
<laughs> Bill. <laughs> I won't tell you who he was talking about. <clears throat> but it wasn't dogs. Um, okay, anyway, give us the update. Anyway, he uh, he's, he's back at work, and the uh, 48-year-old suspect is still in jail. So I just wanted to give an update. But have Probably you guys... good. Yeah, have you guys ever experienced anything crazy like that i mean not i'm sure you haven't well, seen one I've get experienced attacked. you know cr- cr- i mean crazy people in the audience not being attacked like we're just an, an acme uh it was two years ago it's all it's all on tape somewhere there was this woman i was doing a, a bit on um uh bad relationships and uh it was all about like how people stay in bad relate like for the uh, dumbest reasons and then like halfway through the bed the crowd was with me but this woman was sitting right here like two rows back uh just goes uh what, what was she did she say it was just some like how dare you oh it's something like that and uh you you were and then it was just kind of she was crying and she was she had she was a bad relationship specialist. Uh, yeah, and then she was, oh, it was the front row because I remember she was on a date, and the the guy she was on a date with was just sitting there quiet. And I turned to him, I'm like, I'm like, this is the kind of bad relationship I'm talking about. And the audience laughed, and he just didn't, he didn't do it. He was stone, he was terrified. She's screaming at me. They kick her out. She knocks over her like somebody else's wine. It goes flying, and she's just going, "You're not funny. You're not funny." As they're kicking him out or kicking her out, and then. Uh, Afterwards, she, uh, she was talking about how funny she thought the show was. What? And um, was hugging. And how much she added she to it, She was hugging uh, one of the managers. I don't... Is it you, Derek? No. <laughs> uh, she was hugging somebody. And, uh, and then she goes, get my husband. Go get my husband from inside. And so the guy who she was on a date with finally leaves and goes, this is, I'm not her husband. This was the first date. And so clearly there was some oh, medication so involved. Some and oh. some, wow. So that was probably the craziest. I, I was a little bit sh- shaken from that. That was uh, – the crowd was with me, so they, like, they, they were supportive. But you could supportive. tell the woman was having a quasi-psychotic episode yeah, at some point. It was hard to like be too mean to her because no. there was nothing – Eek. Yikes. So yeah, I, and I've never been an, an insult uh, comic. I've said a couple things that hurt some people's feelings. It's just not my style. I'll more often, you know, baffle a heckler than I don't get a lot of hecklers. But more often, I'll just say something that occurs to me, which doesn't make any sense to the heckler, uh, and they get you know puzzled rather than angry. I did have a crowd. I was starting to talk about this beforehand. I had a crowd in because uh, I had this juggling thing. My it's my uh, it's my. Uh, it's my uh, marque de trade, as the guy in Montreal called it. Uh, give us your marque of trade. Okay. Uh, and that's how I built my act was I was a juggling act. I went into comedy clubs, and I had 15 minutes of shitty comedy and 15 minutes of juggling, and I gradually replaced the shitty comedy with better comedy and then pushed <laughs> the juggling to a finale piece. Yep. I was in this cl- uh, club in Spokane, Washington. And I was having a pretty good set, and there was this heckler that kept heckling and heckling and heckling. <clears throat> and I was dealing with him, and I was talking to him, and I was just slam, 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 you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, but, but he just wouldn't shut up and wouldn't shut up. And uh, finally, I told the, the – uh, I said, look, I got to the finale, and I said, but you, you don't get to see this. You get out, <laughs> you know. You don't get to see the finale. You leave. This club in the basement of a hotel somewhere, you know, with the pipes and everything. And uh, – <laughs> He says, you get out. Uh, and uh, he just sat there. He wasn't going to leave. And I turned to the audience. And I said, come on. You know, he's got to go. He's been an ass through the whole show. Isn't that right? And they were totally indifferent. Oh. They weren't mm. in favor. They weren't opposed. It was like a shrug, you know. And, and uh, 
And I was, and so I said, "Well, you don't get it either." Then and I walked off stage. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! You know that was my big punishment. No juggling for you. <laughs> you know that was the worst thing I could think to do. And and I did one thing where I prevent, where I really, this is the smartest thing I, I ever have done on a uh, comedy stage. I was in a club in Columbus, Ohio, and it was one of those two tiered clubs. You know, upper tier in the back, front tier down here. Mm-hmm. And there was a table pretty much dead center in the club, clubs full, uh, up against the tier in the second. Uh, you know, so so there's no way you can only come at it by coming to the front and coming. You couldn't come to these people from behind. Mm-hmm. And the guy was being an ass. And I was going, sir, we're trying to have a good time. Can you please quiet down? Sir, can you please quiet down? And there's an inexperienced sound guy. He's as fine as a sound guy, but he's supposed to be the bouncer. And he's... You know, built like you, maybe a little bit shorter, Ben. I mean, he's a pretty buff. Yeah, exactly. Buff, but yeah, and built like you after, you know, with with a wasting disease. Um, (laughs) So he's short, uh, but he's a little guy is all I'm trying to say. You know, for purposes of radio, he's extremely buff. And not only that, but I understand, you know, very virile. But that's Ben. (laughs) This guy wasn't either. Uh, And he comes over after, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the set, and he comes over and puts his hand on the guy's shoulder to tell him sir would you please quiet down he's you know i've been waiting for this but well the guy stands up and knocks the table over the guy's arm is bigger than the guy who's tapped him on the shoulder and he says take your fucking fingers off of me or i'll break your fucking or take your fucking hand off me or i'll break off your fucking fingers and obviously at that point it's dead silent in the room yeah uh and I'm on stage, and it's a threatening – a threat has been made, <laughs> right? And uh, every once in a while in those – like when you get hit by a car or any one of those situations, mm-hmm. your brain goes into the super speed thing. Yeah. The first thing I thought in my mind was the scene in Casablanca where the Germans are singing in Rick's Cafe, and they get drowned out by the French singing the Marseillaise, mm-hmm. right? So I started to sing America the Beautiful. And I invited the audience to, you know, oh, beautiful. And I invited, and the audience starts singing America the Beautiful. And the guy can't deck somebody during America the Beautiful. <laughs> he is totally confused. Yeah. <laughs> they managed to get him to the back of the room and out of the room without any further damage being done. We all finish America the Beautiful. Uh, uh, audience bursts into applause. Somebody passes me up a glass of wine. It was right in the middle of the uh, first Gulf War. Who knows how many there will be, the fact that you have to preface it. And I just raised a glass, toasted the audience, and I said, George Bush has nothing on me. I know when to wrap myself in the flag. <laughs> and we went on and finished the show. And it's still, to me, that it's, that's the, you know, you're there. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, that's one of my proudest moments as a comedian because I think I prevented somebody from getting punched. Well, that is, a, that is the secret to dealing with hecklers, too, is to uh, basically just say – what comes to your mind? Don't try to be funny. Don't step back. Unless you're a heckler comic. You know. Well, yeah, but even heckler comics will, you'll just kind of let it, their thoughts flow through them instead of like the when I get in trouble is like oh I have to be clever now I have to say something and then I won't. But mm-hmm. if I just go with whatever kind of comes to the surface, even if it's something like singing America the Beautiful, that's what came to the surface and that's 
usually the right uh, thing to go with. Yeah, that's true. And if you're a beginning comic, you probably, you know, I mean, I actually, when I started off again doing this juggling thing, I was opening for Robin Trower. People probably don't know who he was, but he was the guitar player for Procol Harum. He's very much in the Hendrix mold. And he went on to become very much a heavy metal blues quaalude. You know, that's his audience, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm opening for him. I'm supposed to do stand up, and I know I better have some heckler jokes ready because the 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 bike looks the, the parking lot looks like a Harley Davidson dealership, you know. Uh, and I get up there, and I had eight. I was a brand new comic. I had eight heckler jokes ready, right? And and I I was six ninety seconds in, they were gone, you know. The night, uh. you know, but I remember one of them, which is what happened. Did prison let out early? You know. <laughs> I mean, I was going, no, I thought it was clever. I still remembered it. None of, none of them worked, you know. And then, and then you're, and, and at that point, if you're relying on written lines, you're, you're dead. You're done. You get through the list, and, 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 and where do you go from there? Flipping there that are, piece of paper, yeah. paper over, and there's yeah. nothing there. There's nothing else there. Well, it's time for shiny objects. Uh, but there are insult comics who work very well. And there's a guy, he's probably still around, uh, Jeff Big Daddy Wayne. Jeff Wayne used to run a club out uh, a one nighter in uh, in the Inland Empire, like Riverside, California, sixty miles from L.A. So he'd get all the L.A. comics to come out. It was called Lamp Post Pizza. It was in a pizza place, and it set up a little stage. And Wayne had you know remember the scene from the Blues Brothers where they're playing behind chicken wire. Yep. Mm-hmm. He had created an atmosphere like that where people would come to the club early so they could sit down and just spew at the at the at the comics right because he was an insult comic and he could run that room and people would come out and you know you would just walk up on stage and you you, they, they, uh, they, you were off in five minutes I mean they were just there to eat you alive wow. and, until Big Daddy Wayne took the mm-hmm. stage and then the insult fest kicked into gear right and uh, he was telling me a story about how some kid comes out and he thinks he's all hot and he's supposed to do 15 minutes and he lasts about five minutes, not a single joke the entire time. Mm-hmm. And he comes off stage and he's in the you know kitchen, which is the dressing room, and he goes, so what do you think of that, Jeff? And Jeff tells him, you know what I think you should do? I think you should definitely quit your day job and get a night job so if you're ever tempted to do comedy, you'll be at work. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Which is so super cold. And I'm not going to remember the comedian's name, but I was. She's now. Uh, she's a gifted writer and now working on sitcoms and stuff. But uh, maybe five foot two and a wispy little thing. And we're my second and final time at Lampost Pizza. I did okay the first time. And she watches the first act come up and just get the hook from the audience. She watches the second act come up and just get their you know heart ripped out by the audience mm-hmm. a little quiet little sophisticated writer woman person you know right you know and i turned to her we're standing at the back of the room just watching the lions feed on the romans and i said you know at about at this point you're thinking to yourself do i really need the 50 dollars this much she burst into tears and ran out of the room <laughs> <laughs> The story was going to end with her going on stage and just and killing, just no. yeah, just commanding no. the crowd. No, she bursted and 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 oh, a wise decision and gone on to a successful career as a television writer. Wow, I uh, I did need the hundred bucks that I was getting that night, so I stayed and ate it. And that was my last time at Lampost. I uh, before we get too much farther along here, there's things I really want to get to, kind of like follow ups from both of you guys. Because both of you have been here before. Ben, when you were here, uh, was kind of like... July. In the, July. There you go. I was going to say in the summer. Yep. July. We're on the same page. With here. Amber Preston. With Amber Preston. And that was before 
the Fringe Festival, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. How did it go? It went well. Sold 500 tickets. So that was that was the biggest solo show I've had. So that was good. And you make a lot of money when it's just you doing comedy. You don't have any actors to pay or and props and things. So. Ah, it's a mo- so it's not just uh, art. There's mo- there's money to be made. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've, you have to work. You have to promote it. Well, you have to. Yeah, you have to. I, I spent you know t- probably five hundred dollars on marketing. Uh, and uh, you had the awesome uh, cards, which yeah, I grabbed I when you had them sitting out here. Professional photographer get you know get a promotional shot. Then I had Andy Erickson do the graphic design for it, and that costs money. And then Here's printing the, sh- the cards, and then p- buying a website ad costs like three hundred dollars or so and uh and uh yeah but still nothing none of that compared to the amount of power you can have when the star tribune writes about you you know this is like the jump the jump in audience after that happened was like yeah no matter how much money you put into marketing it doesn't compare to a, a you know a a good review in the star tribune and to show that i do my research (laughs) you were described as Scruffily adorable. <laughs> Can you just like Han Solo? <laughs> I'm That's thinking right. more the cat video of comedy. Please welcome. <laughs> well, the <laughs> the thing about that review is because I do a whole bit about good enough. The secret to happiness is good enough. Yeah, and so they reference that. that they reference that they say uh, Ben he something like more than good enough. Which is a good compliment, but <laughs> slightly better gonna, than slightly better than good enough. More than good enough, but they're referencing my bit, and so, but I can't use that like on like a, a postcard. I can't say more than good enough Star Tribune because it didn't sound no. it didn't <laughs> sound really good. Yeah. But it, you know, more than good. How, I mean, I mean, good enough is already good enough, and then I'm more than good enough. That's a, that sh- should be good, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it went well. To it was your more question. than. It's better than <laughs> meh. Yeah, it's it, what they, they described as eighty-five percent of scruffily adorable. Oh, comic Ben Sendell's charm is in his delivery, and that's more than good enough. <laughs> well, then the the eighty-five percent. Well, it's interesting. I know. I didn't Apparently, know we my writing is, is uh, the 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 line though that really brought people in is if you have somebody. What was it? If you have somebody who hasn't seen a fringe show, make it this one. Yes, dragging a skeptic to their first friend show? Question mark. Make it this one. So the next show I had after that review came out was sold out, so, awesome. or almost sold out. It was like two hundred. But then word of mouth killed it. <laughs> and then word of mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the same night that Paul McCartney was here too. So he was like across the street from. Oh, me. that's that's where I was that night. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was there working. I had to make some money. Too, I, however, like have, I, however, have merely met Paul McCartney. So, well, uh, really? <coughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, who, who did you like better, Paul McCartney or Michael Jackson, uh, personality-wise? Uh, well, I spent about the same sixty seconds with each one of them, so it's really it's a close call. Uh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> if know we asked them today, them. which one would remember? Oh, never mind. Neither Sorry. one. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I missed the joke. Sorry. Thank you. Do you have any? Uh, but at least I, I have. But at least I haven't memorized my review like some of us have. <laughs> well, you, you memorize your review when it's the one time somebody talks about you in the newspaper. So. <laughs> well, you've sold five hundred more tickets than I ever did. So there you go. And at, the least name- for, at least for one man shows. Although Josh and I did one, but it was a, a brilliant show that was painful in, in its uh, denouement. Oh, that's right. We've talked about that in the yeah, yeah. in the old episodes or the yeah. pa- older episodes. It's painful. In its denouement, it, we couldn't get an audience in. Uh, the biggest audience we ever had, other than the closing night, when obviously all of our friends came, uh, was uh, an audience of seventeen people f- 
12 of whom were were um, in some sort of juvenile delinquency program where they were required to attend a cultural event. <laughs> and the play was about my brother dying from AIDS. So it wasn't really... I mean, it was so, so weird fest. to look out and go, well, we got some butts in the seats tonight. Yeah, 12 juvenile delinquents. <laughs> They're just really the... I mean, unbelievable. You know what, though? If you went back, or if you found them today, you probably changed their lives. Or maybe not at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, like... Those, those, those people the they're all in yeah. yeah now they're all in theater now or they have aids <laughs> or both there's some crossover there we're just inspired anyway. you know <laughs> <laughs> or so, possibly they got aids in prison i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of vectors there that, you're right rough, but they can yeah. deal with it better now having seen your show yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. absolutely so that's all i wanted to catch up with you on that ben well, thank you the, for and asking. congratulations yeah that you. is an achievement are you going to do it again next year uh, if I do it again, it'd probably be a play this time. I haven't done one in a couple of years, so which is always a bigger pain in the ass. But uh, you know, I I like direct, writing. right, I like star. Writing. Do all the voices. Too bad you can't do impressions. You could do one like fully committed, where you do thirty-two <laughs> voices and you're all of them. I didn't I didn't act in the last play I did, so that was like it made me feel like more of a professional director writer by not doing that. But then I was like, you uh, just sat in the chair. There was with part the, of me, the, the performer part of me, was like, ah. Oh, I should have acted just to... So you would be Well, which one, one did you make more money at? Sounds like you made more money doing the... The, the plays, the two plays I've done made more money because they're just big. They There's actors, like I'll get actors who are like local draws. You do like a Spike Lee thing where you rip off the actors and pocket the dough. No, I uh, I I pay them I pay them a chunk of the profits. So I thought you were going to say and you hire Danny Aiello or something like Spike Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't, I just don't know Spike Lee's movies enough to, to reference. I wish I could like riff off no, this. So, he, but no, I just don't of, know anything sort of, about Spike Lee's movies. He's sort of famous for doing the in the early days for doing the brother brother thing. Brother, can you help a brother out and do my film for you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. But I don't know Spike either. It's just a rumor. You know, you really shouldn't take up other people's prejudices. Well, what I know about Spike Lee is he fun. hates Quentin Tarantino. That's what I know. And uh, I'm on Team oh, Quentin. Oh, man. You know, Dick, Gre- Dick Gregory just ripped Spike a new one about his comments about uh, Django Unchained. Yeah? Oh, yeah. It's really funny. Go look that up on the web. I mean, uh, Dick's 80-some years old, and he's still so right on when he when he when he opens his mouth some good shit comes out you're doing a show with him oh yeah we got another concert with dick coming up next month yeah like lewis black and we're doing let freedom laugh the bill of rights comedy concert at the warner theater in washington dc with uh uh, lou's doing it again which is really nice lewis black and then we have tom smothers and dick gregory on the legend side of the bill then we have christella alonzo and Ahmed Ahmed, because I uh, my rule is every time you got a Jew on stage, we need to put a Muslim there now. <laughs> and uh, and John uh, uh, John uh, Fugelsang, who's uh, got a new show on Sirius, and uh, and John's John's you know great guy. And uh, we got some Roland video Roland. Sarah Silverman's going to do one for us. Wanda Sykes is going to do one for us, and it's it's for uh, for the nonprofit for the Bill of Rights Monument Project that I started. This and, is what I was going to yeah. want to let you uh, talk about here. Well, then. it's uh, it's uh, you know I, I mean I, uh, talk to me next week. I might have some bigger news about that, but it's slowly you know I think it's a good time for this sort of thing for for any kind of human rights and uh, liberties and and uh, to be uh, at least replanted certainly since they are our founding document to begin with and not that not that I'm naive enough to think that people I mean there are ideals you never reach them but if you don't have them in front of you you never re- even reach for them and we have the whole thing with the interview 
And then we have the whole thing with the Charlie Hebdo. And then we have just this a whole – and we really have you know ISIS sort of taunting the very concept of human rights and dignity. And we have uh, some responsibility for undercutting that ourselves. I mean, I, it's a – you know, it was funny to me when uh, – I had people come to me when the torture report got when Feinstein's torture report came out. I mean, people on social media going, "Oh yeah, you, you're against what Bush did, but Obama's drone attacks are fine with you." Because and it's like, no, they're not fine with me either. You know, you can't be just targeting people and blowing up cars all over the world and then say, "But we're the champion of human rights." It doesn't work. You lose your moral place in the world, and suddenly there's no, you know, there's no. It's an it's a lack. It's an immoral equivalency that you're dealing in that people are measuring you on that scale, and so I think uh, it would be a. It's that's why we're trying to do the Bill of Rights, put it in a monumental form at every state capital in America, and and uh, I mean it sounds like oh, monuments, state capitals. Ooh, well, that's, that's, that'll have a lot of impact. Well, you know. Every school kid in the state visits their state capital at some point in their life. Millions every year go to their state capitals when they're impressionable young people. Mm -hmm. You put a monuments of the Bill of Rights at every state capital in America that are going to be there for the next hundred years. That's hundreds of millions of young Americans seeing the Bill of Rights. It's a short, readable document, 500 words, in the context of civic, civic responsibility, citizenship. Is it going to touch all of them? No. But it's going to be that icon in the back of the minds of the kids who wind up actually working in government, working in civil service, and going into that whole concept. And if they go in, and not only that, but every state legislator who walks into that building is going to be walking by the Bill of Rights every day. At, you know, I think I come from a city of monuments, Washington, D.C. Icons have power. Just ask Steve Jobs if he was here. If icons have power, iconic things are powerful, and monuments have impact. They're not sexy. They're not technology that everyone's so in love with, but the long-term impacts, they are like the human version of the seven wonders of the world. They're all monuments. Why do we know about the Egypts? Why are we Egyptians? Why are we fascinated by them? The fucking pyramids, you know? So this idea, I think, could have a real impact, a real positive impact in in sort of reinvigorating the sense of the ideals that we should strive for and, and having people who are in government have that as their backdrop in some way. Yeah, it's a 100-year project, not to build them, but that they'll be there. You know, we've got one at the Arizona State Capitol. It's pretty impactful. You know, this is a subtle, slow-moving, you know, it's all subtext text. I think it's worthwhile. Lou thinks it's worthwhile. And I think uh, uh, we could do far worse than having the Bill of Rights be at the center of our civic life in every state capital in America as, as, a, as just one element of getting back to what always made this country truly exceptional, which isn't our might, our power, or our wealth. It's the first country ever founded on a set of ideas instead of a dominant culture. So that's my, that's my elevator speech. And, now I feel and apparently we've gone up to... Th- <laughs> for talking about my good review of this chart. Oh, you're changing the world. I'm no, I mean, who knows, you know. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, but, it's, but it's something that's put me in touch with uh, really interesting, fascinating people. Yeah. I mean, we're in this profession where it's a look-at-me profession, you know. And I, I spent all this time, time out, obviously, in Hollywood and everything, and you want success. And obviously, we would like for our words and ideas to have impact on people. But 
in the course of that video, getting out the juggling video in 2006 and going through all these people's groups, autism groups and Parkinson's groups and some human rights, some, some uh, humanitarian aid workers in Africa and stuff and this Bill of Rights work and you start getting in touch with this network of people uh, who are out there who are like fighting for the power of ideas one way or the other or for basic human dignity in the case of human rights workers. Uh-huh. Nobody knows their names, Okay. Uh, most, I mean, you, you just, nobody, maybe within the small community, people know their names. These are people that get up every day, spend all day every day trying to make the world better. That's conscious focus of what they're doing uh, on, in one way or another. Go to bed at night and get up the next day and do it again, particularly these humanitarian aid workers that I was getting these emails from about the Beatle video. Beatles video, it was uh-huh. like, I mean, you're just in tears. Once there was a way to get back home, and they are in these refugee camps in Africa, and they know that half of the children in that camp not only aren't going to get home, they're not going to survive the year. And, and yet every day they get up for the other half. Yeah. You know, and do this thing. And I was thinking, you know, that people are running the world. We know the 1%, the 1% of the 1%, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. the people that are running the world, but they're not the people holding it together. Right. The people that are holding it together are these people whose names you never know, who live lives of uh, conscious sacrifice that they don't feel a sacrifice at all and get up every day to make it a better world. And I've, it's been a super interesting to go from. You know, uh, the celebrity thing that I was not destined to and wasn't going to ultimately, you know, succeed at other than, hey, the juggling guy, you know, and then get involved and see these people and see this fabric and go, all right, all right, I feel good here. I, 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 I will work for these people, these people that send me $5 contributions for monuments and things. I mean, it, it's really... It feels right, and uh, has and it has it improved your own uh, sense of well being doing this? I mean, just because comedians will be are largely depressed people <laughs> who uh, kind of hate themselves and their and their lives, but doing something like and by this, the way, jugglers is- even worse. <laughs> <laughs> we assume. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, uh, I never had. A big dark nights of the soul thing that so many yeah. comics and other people get, but but uh, yeah, I'm 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 glad to be doing it. It's certainly fucking challenging, you know. I mean, it's next to in uh, nonprofit work is creating the impossible out of the invisible. I mean, it's really like there's nothing, you know. You're just this is just a. I know it's a powerful idea about a powerful set of ideas, and it's simple and it's understandable. It I don't know where it's going to go. We have that monument in Arizona. I don't know how many more we're going to get. Uh, there's no way of knowing it, so that I the the success and failure thing is a weird thing in your head, which mm-hmm. is in your head the same way it is as a comedian or yeah. as an artist more than comedian, you know. But you can't measure it. Even some of your greatest failures lead to, uh, on paper, your greatest failures, you know, lead to the next level of thing just from enduring it. When Josh and I did the Walking on the Moon show, the 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 uh, show about my brother. Uh-huh. Um, that's the last time I was ever really depressed because we spent two years putting it together and it died a horrible death after about six weeks in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And for about three months, I was like, Jesus, I was just empty. And then I caught myself walking by a mirror in my house one day feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And I just took a look and, and A, you wanted to puke and, you know, like, oh, please. Did you you look haggard? Yeah, I I did. (laughs) I I, I looked, uh, I, 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 I just looked pathetic. And that's even much worse than haggard. Pre-haggard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or post-haggard. And, and I just took a look, and it was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. You're making other people look at that face? Oh, 
you know, and I don't think I've felt sorry for myself uh, since then. Sometimes you get beat up in the course of artistic projects. All, actually, this Bill of Rights thing's more like a play or an yeah. art project than anything else. Uh, uh, but uh, but it's but I don't have any reason to be down about anything. I've been given so many gifts. I, I have a joke about that in the act. It's like. So much of your life is the luck of the draw. Here's my draw. White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, male child of a Republican lawyer born in the United States of America in the 1950s, too young to have to go to Vietnam, too old to have to go to the Persian Gulf War, and I hit my sexual peak at the height of the sexual revolution. (laughs) Game, set, match, motherfucker. Screw you. (laughs) Yeah. So with that kind of – when you have that kind of recognition, it's like uh, 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 of of exactly all the – you know advantages that I've had. It's like I, I, you know, that's what makes this easy to. And that's, I don't have any kids or parents to take care of. So that, that between all helps. that, it's like just yeah. It's sure mm-hmm. you know because those are your first responsibilities, mm-hmm. family. Hey, so I, it's like I can indulge myself in this. I want I want to bring up. Uh, you mentioned it really brief, briefly. Is the last thing I want to bring up. Um, the interview that movie is now it's going to be on Netflix already this weekend. What do you think about it? All oh, the all the hubbub, so but it wasn't excited. in theaters nowadays. I can't contain my right. thrills. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I just decided to get so sarcastic. There. I like it. I don't know. Uh, it probably is. It's probably a, a good movie. I don't know. I well, I mean, <laughs> comedies are generally not great movies. The film itself. Uh, how that became an icon of of freedom of expression instead of just freedom of goofiness. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but I think we saw the real face of what's at stake in Paris. Yeah. You know, the real sta- – uh, and the conversations that started from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, and that's a much bigger confer- conversation. It's a valuable one for people to have. Uh, this idea that you shouldn't – and then the Pope weighed in, you know. Well, mm-hmm. you shouldn't mock people's faith. Well, shouldn't, needn't, possibly, but – you know, if you're not free to cross that line, you're simply not free. Freedom means you can cross the line, not without consequence, but without legal criminal consequence. Under protection of the law, you can cross that line. It doesn't protect you from consequences. Ask the, ask the idiots at the Westboro Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. They never got above 19 members. The church isn't growing because people look at what they do and go, that's abhorrent and you're assholes. Yeah. You know? Great point. But it's legal. Uh, If you believe in freedom, if you believe that ultimately it produces the greatest results for the greatest amount of people, then at some point you have to take this stance. And as far as insults, you know, well, they're like beauty. They're in the eye of the beholder. One person's insult is another person's insight. What does a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad with a bomb hidden in his turban mean? Is it about Muhammad or is it about the people seeking power under protection of his image who are killing innocent people? Who are you criticizing, the prophet or the followers? Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, or, or of the pope uh, buggering an altar boy. Who are you criticizing? You're criticizing the symbol of the church. You're not talking, you know. So, again, one person's insult is another person's insight. And in the, in the you know, the so-called marketplace of ideas and all this, it matters that people uh, uh, understand that, that uh, principles of freedom are worth defending because in the long run they produce the greatest result for the greatest amount of people, including they allow you... This country, Italy has the lowest percentage of people who are regular churchgoers in Europe because they have a state church. Hmm. They're down to 30%. They know how corrupt the Vatican has been over time. They've had it with being, you know, we're, we're 
I mean, that's what you get when you start mandating religious attendance. You get people going who, who are just offended by that very idea and who go, oh, please, you know. If not attendance, you know, if you have a state religion. This country was no state religion, highest percentage of regular churchgoers anywhere in the Western world. So freedom of expression does not uh, repress religious belief. It allows religious belief. So if, if that's your problem with it, you know, you're just on the wrong side of the statistics. You're not understanding the connection between your freedom to worship and other people's freedom to insult your freedom to worship, you know. Ben, do you feel inspired? Stand on your tables, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and let's end it right there. That was absolutely perfect. Fellas. Nice button, my pal. Yep, good luck this weekend. K- continue kicking ass. And uh, thanks for spending this hour or so, whatever we just did with me. And uh, continued success, guys. This was so much more fun than when Josh and I were. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for having us. Absolutely. <laughs> Ode to Josh. <laughs>